Hello and welcome to Very Excellent Habits, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs, writer and mostly sensible habit maker. This episode has been a long time coming and I've been wanting to get Victoria Divine on the podcast for ages and finally the stars aligned and I have her here today to talk about money. Victoria Divine is from She's on the Money and money is a big issue for, well, pretty much everyone. The listenership of Very Excellent Habits is so varied. There are 20-somethings who want to get a head start on a good financial future. There are married people who want to build a secure future future for their families, lots and lots of women who don't want to be financially dependent on a man, retired people who want to make the most of the money that they have. I am no expert in money at all. I mean, I don't totally suck, but I'm certainly not qualified to give solid advice. And that's why I got an expert in for this show. And let me tell you, she's one hell of an expert. So she's a financial advisor who focuses on giving millennials financial advice that's appropriate for that generation. Her podcast, you may have heard of it. It's called She's on the Money and it gets 85,000 downloads per episode, which is off chops. And a lot of her advice is centered on women, which is totally fair enough. And you better believe I've got some stats I'm going to share with you because this is stuff that a lot of women need to hear. So according to a 2017 Hilda survey, single elderly women aged over 60 have the lowest income earning family group. So that's the most likely group to live in poverty. This happens for quite a few reasons. Firstly, women are paid less than men. So in a 2017 survey, it was found that the full-time gender pay gap was 15.3%. And that equates to women earning about $250 less per week than men. Another reason why we end up in poverty is because many of us take time out of work to have babies. According to a Women in Super report, the average career break for women is up to six years. So for example, a 30-year-old woman on an annual salary of $50,000, a six-year career break can cost her up to $77,000 in lost super accumulation at retirement. That is a lot of money. When we return to work, it's often part-time. Over 70% of all part-time workers are female. We generally make up about 55% of the casual workforce. Another reason why is that women make up over two-thirds of Australia's primary carers and 55% of all carers. So we're doing more unpaid work, which means that we don't have time to do the paid work. Women also... When we retire, it is usually with half the superannuation of our male counterparts. And I found this really interesting fact from ASFA, A-S-F-A, that is the superannuation industry peak body. They define a comfortable retirement as $545,000. And most women are retiring with just under $290,000. So if a modest retirement is defined as $555,000, then this means that men can literally afford to live for 22.5 years on their retirement. And women can only live for 12 years on what they have in their superannuation. So, under current circumstances, women can literally not afford to live for half of their retirement. This is why we have Victoria on the show today. 
So without further delay, here is the illustrious Victoria Devine to talk about all things money. Welcome to the show, Victoria. Uh, Thank you for having me, Carly. And for the very glorious introduction, like I don't think I've been called illustrious, (laughs) let alone with my four-day-old slicked back hair pony thing going on and on Zoom. Like it's just good. Oh my gosh, I'm the same. I've just been like, I I was just like sweaty and in a rush because I've been, actually that's my uh, recommendation, so I won't jump into that yet. But my background just always <laughs> looks terrible because it's in the spare room. And I mean, look, we're just under duress at the moment doing what doing what we can do. You can what? only see white behind me. But like if I showed you my desk, you'd be like, Victoria, <laughs> nobody needs that many teacups in their house. <laughs> <laughs> we're massive tea drinkers over here as well. So I always start the episode with recommendation of the week. So I'll go first. This week I am recommending the Just Dance game for PlayStation. So I had this a few years ago. It was really fun. And my kid loves dance. And I figured out, I figured we should learn some, you know, proper moves or something. And it's just been really fun. So you hold your phone. So it like tracks that you're doing the right moves and it like ticks off the things that you've done right. I can highly recommend it. And it burns a shit ton of calories. If oh, that's we some, like that. If that's, that's something good for you care about. Health. For mm-hmm. physical health, for turning up to podcasts, sweaty. So it good. <laughs> it's so perfect. Good. Love that for you. I don't have kids. I'm sorry. Mine's not going to be a kid-friendly recommendation. No, but it, it is actually. To it's totally G-rated, though. Um, my recommendation is actually the Keep It Cleaner Pilates classes. So ah. you know the Keep It Cleaner app. Like I've yeah. been obsessed with it for a really long time, just because they're like really short little Pilates classes. But you don't require, but you don't need any, uh, but you don't need any equipment. And to be honest, my team and I, please don't tell Laura or (laughs) Steph, because I don't know if this is technically legal or the way they wanted their platform used, but I've been putting it on my computer and sharing screens with my team (laughs) and we've been doing Pilates together. So like, that's a money win for us. So it's like, Obviously, they're not paying the subscription. I am. Again, <laughs> apologies. But you're giving but them I'm a big pimp as well yeah. on, uh, on, a, on a platform. So on a, Yeah, look, look they're, they're paying for it in one way or another. But at the end of the day, um, doing Pilates and just like getting our bodies moving, especially during lockdown, has been really positive. And I didn't think I would ever recommend a workout app because I'm not that gal. Like Carly, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to recommend a workout app if I don't think it's good because like you won't catch me working out. But the Pilates classes, they're just really nice. And the girls feel like they're actually running the class for you, which I really appreciate. But it's also really good because like if you are in lockdown and having other people to show up for the workouts as well really gives you that feeling of like if you were in a gym, which you're obviously not, yeah. but it's like that accountability kind of thing. Are you in Sydney? In all my research, I didn't figure out where you are. Hey, I'm in Melbourne. I'm oh, locked right down on. here in Melbourne, which Fun. means I've been locked down for more than 240 days now. So you best believe I am so good at Zoom Pilates. Oh, yeah. yeah Zoom yeah. everything, think, in fact. <laughs> I think I read the other day that Melbourne is the most locked down city in the world yeah. throughout the entire pandemic, which is fun. I'm Victorian, so I'm only one step behind you. But Yeah, okay. Yeah. Nice for you. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, that's not something I would ever want to gloat about. It's not no. some kind of award <laughs> that I ever thought that we would be looking to get. But here we are. Yeah, fun. So before we get started on all the money stuff, 
I please need to talk to you about your dog. I read in my research that you have an English sheep-a-doodle and listeners at home, please Google that. It will blow your mind. They are the most beautiful looking dogs. Can you tell us about her? I know her name is is Lucy and tell us why she's awesome, please. Lucy Lucy the golden sheep-a-doodle. Oh, she's golden. mm -hmm. She (sighs) is a, like, she's actually laying under my desk. So after (sighs) I'll pull her up and I will introduce you to her. Please. Um, But she is now 25 kilos and what is she, 10 months? Um, So she comes up just above my knees. So she's quite tall. But you know the Julux dogs that used to be on all the paint ads? So that's like one of her parents. But she's like, instead of the black and white or black and gray, she's um, black or she's white and cream. So she's got like a white patch on her chest and she's all creamy and she's like I remember when we were looking at the breed, they were like, oh, they're Velcro dogs. And I was like, what does that mean? Because turns out they're always stuck to you. Like they're so needy. Um, <laughs> and yeah, she's never more than like a meter away from me. We are best friends. And mm. she's also the resident office dog. She um, comes to work when we're not locked down at home. She comes to work every day and keeps the office in check. And yeah, she is the love of my life, essentially. Oh, bless. I just, I love English sheep doodles because they're, they're quite rare. You don't see them very often, but when you see them, they're just spectacular. They're like living teddy bears. Incredible. They are actual teddy bears. So her fur is really long and like there's this video and I posted it to my Instagram last night of like these dogs in the wind and their fur just like is, <laughs> is blowing. And I was like, that is so Lucy. She loves a good blow dry too, because, you know, being an English sheep doodle she doesn't really have a lot of um, option to not get blow dried. So yeah, she- from a young age. <laughs> Okay, down to business. Let's talk money. So you've got a book coming out and it's all about money. I have read the pre-release copy. It's not out yet, is it? Yeah, it is. Oh, it is out. Sorry. No, no, that's okay. So it is out. And uh, one thing that comes up a lot in this book is money history and how you were raised and how that can affect, you know, your relationship with money and it can have a negative effect or a positive effect. Do you mind having a chat to the listeners about how the way that you were raised, how that can affect the way you feel and act around money as an adult? Absolutely. And this is what I call money stories. And I think that it is something that we all just dismiss and don't spend any time talking about because we're always like, oh, money, I'm not good at that or I am good at that. But a money story from my perspective is the underlying thoughts, values, beliefs and behaviours that we hold inherent to ourselves about money. So it might be this underlying sense of guilt when you're spending money because growing up you were always told that that was really naughty or you might have this really big pit in the bottom of your stomach when someone says like, oh, hey, Carly, like financially X, Y, Z, you go, oh, like I don't want to talk about that because money was always really sparse growing up and it wasn't something you were comfortable talking about. Or on the flip side, you might be just really good at spending money on your credit card and you don't know why because you have no sense of guilt about it at all and it just doesn't impact you and that might be because you were conditioned growing up that credit was okay and it's never a bad thing and that money wasn't an issue and I think that we don't understand how important this is to us until someone puts it on a on a table and puts pushes it towards us and says hey Carly your money story actually is going to define how you move forward financially whether you end up creating wealth or become good at saving or not like that's all going to be a reflection of what you have learned and I think a lot of people just go oh yeah cool like I've just decided to be better at money without taking into consideration what they've been through and it's kind of like 
It's a bit like trauma. If you've had a trauma and you just decide to bury it and not address it in any way, shape or form, that's going to come back to get you. It's going to come for you. I'm sorry. You're going to trip over it at some point. So we actually need to address these things up front. We need to have a conversation about it and actually go, oh, that's actually not aligned to my values because I'm a very big believer that our beliefs and our values can actually be in conflict with one another. So like you might believe one thing about money and that's money is bad and it's the root of all evil. But one of your values might be creating wealth. How are those two things actually going to work together? And do we actually need to maybe reset some of our beliefs and what we've actually learned and question them as to whether they're true or not? Because some of us grow up and they're like, oh, only rich people have money and oh, money's <laughs> the root of all evil and is the worst thing ever. And, you know, if you have lots of money, you're a bad person. It's like, hold up. Where'd you learn that? Like, why do you think that that's the case? Like, do you know how powerful money can be to helping others and, you know, being philanthropic and sharing and caring? And you go, oh, no, I, I didn't think of that. So I think it's really important to understand what your money story is and contrary to what we believe and when we think we should be teaching kids about money, which is obviously not which is obviously 14 years and nine months, right? Because that's when they get jobs. It no? is, yeah. That's when I got my first job. <laughs> it's actually seven. Our money story is starting when we are seven years old and we start to pick up how our parents or our guardians or the people that surround us interact with money and then that becomes our truth. So it's not actually something we can control. It is something that we actually need to forgive ourselves for, not because we did it, but because so many times we go, oh, I'm so bad at money. It's like, No, you're not. You just haven't been given the tools and resources you need to be successful. How can we reset that? What can we do? Like, it's all about learning and we are all on different pages and we all start from different places, but quite literally, like we need to acknowledge our money story because if we don't know where we are starting, how on earth are we going anywhere? Like, how do we create a map if we don't even know what part of Australia we are in? (laughs) So what's your money story? How come you're so self-possessed around money and you've got like, is that, did you, do you have a good money story, like a good base or did you do some good stuff to, to fix a bad base? I'm kind of both. I had really great parents when it came to money. My dad's an accountant and my mum works in healthcare. So like I was always doomed to cry at the dining table over my financial cry at the dining table over doing times tables. I promise you. Like my dad and I used to argue over it all the time. But I, like many people, just didn't comprehend the importance of it. Like no yeah. matter how much they taught me about money, I was not in the mindset to to learn about it. I wasn't open to it. And you can't force someone to be good at something. You can't force someone to learn about something until they're ready to absorb that information. So it actually took me going to uni and, again, having really – really supportive parents that were always like, yep, cool. This is this. And this is that. And like looking back on it, my mom's a legend budgeter. Like you've (laughs) never met a more thrifty woman. She was so good at saving. And then obviously my dad's pretty good at it too, because he's an accountant, but like I ended up in personal debt and I ended up getting a credit card and getting a personal loan and prioritizing lifestyle. And to be honest, I wouldn't change that because it's taught me a lot about how it feels to be awake at 3am because you feel sick about making your next debt repayment because you don't know where it's coming from. And I think that that has helped me a lot, not only become who I am, but really create and shape our community to be one where it's like, guys, I know who you are because I am you. (laughs) Like it's not, it's not me on a high horse being like, well, I'm a financial advisor and I'm financially perfect. Like, sorry. um, Yeah. My credit (laughs) card was like maxed out for a really long time. I know better now and I'm much better 
better at managing that, but I've done that because I've learned from it and I want to share my mistakes and my missteps because I didn't have good financial literacy, not because I wasn't afforded it, but because I didn't see the point. Like, I just didn't understand. <laughs> just because you didn't care. Like, like oh. I was... I was 16. I did not care. All I cared about was, can I go to the movies with my friends? Why do I have a 10 a, Why do I have a 10 p.m. curfew? Like, what's going on with that? <laughs> that was all I cared about. And, you know, I, I am very lucky in that I was afforded a really great education and I ended up going to university a number of times because turns out I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, you know, I ended up in a lot of debt because working and studying and making that balance and, you know, wanting to see adding to that hex debt. Yeah, adding to hex debt. But also, like, I wanted to study abroad for a semester. Had I saved for it? No. <laughs> Would a personal loan get me there? Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. That is a problem for future me. And so, you know, future me ended up having to pay off that debt and realizing how negative it is. And that's why I'm so passionate about looking after future you, making decisions that future you is going to thank you for. Because I was in a situation where future me was not thanking me for any of the decisions <laughs> that I had made. It's like past Victoria sucks. Someone's yeah, got to talk to her. not good. Someone needs to rein that woman in. <laughs> So very, very early on in the book, there's the concept of earn, spend, own and owe. And that comes up. Um, I loved that. Can you talk the listeners through what that, what that whole concept is? Oh my gosh. I love that you loved that because I I think I'm so sassy with that. Um, And these to me are the four numbers that everyone should know about themselves. Because in the book, as you would know, I go through a money mapping exercise, which is where you can, you know, place yourself on a little map and it'll tell you where you are and you can work out where you want to go based on these four figures. But essentially earn is how much money you earn or have coming into your bank accounts each and every single month or year or week or however you want to calculate it. Then spend is how much is leaving. So we need to actually be able to comprehend this. And this is not something that most people would be able to actually tell you off the top of their head. I can't. So yeah, and and I think that people are like, oh, they're so simple. And I'm like, yes, they're so simple, but so rare. <laughs> um, not many people can do that. They might be able to tell me what their salary package is. But I'll be like, okay, but how much money does act like actually hits your account each month? They're like, oh, I think it's about like four grand, maybe. (laughs) You go, okay, cool. But like, I want specifics. I want you to tell me exactly what's coming in, exactly what's going out. How much do you own? Like, do you have any property? How much equity do you have? Like, do you have any shares? What are we working towards? Because that own piece is our future wealth creation. And we want to be on top of that. That includes our superannuation because that is absolutely an asset we need to take into consideration at all times. And I think so many times people push that to the side, but superannuation in Australia, as of June, it is now 10%. Not many people can say, Hey, Victoria, I've actually consistently invested 10% for my entire career. I'd be like, wow, that's pretty impressive. That's extremely impressive. Yeah, that's impressive. But you're doing it already with superannuation. So why aren't we caring about the money in our super more than we are? Yeah. It makes not a lot of sense. So I want people to care about that. And then I always want people to know what they owe. So obviously we'd love that to not be a thing. But from my perspective, there are three different types of debt. There's good good debt, bad debt, and okay debt. And we just don't want to be in bad debt. So okay debt and good debt. So good debt would be things like home loans and 
stuff that is actually going to help create wealth for you. You might leverage a property, you might get a loan to buy some shares completely up to you. Then we might have okay debt and I categorize okay debt as hex. So I never want to say, oh my gosh, you have to smash that down because at the end of the day, it's an interest-free loan from the government with absolutely no time frame associated with it. And the only thing it increases by is CPI or indexation each and every single year, which from my perspective is very, very good. Mm. And then there's bad debt and that is consumer debt. So that is credit cards and personal loans and afterpay and zip pay and things that are not helping you get to any type of wealth. Um, If you're wondering, oh, is this bad debt or not bad debt? I don't know. Um, The answer is, do you have anything that you can show for it that would create wealth? And if the answer is no, it is bad debt. Um, So I guess that comes into it, but I always want people to know exactly what they owe. And if you can comprehend at all points, those four numbers, because as much as they sound simple, they're actually quite complex when you start breaking it down, you will always be on top of where you are financially. So for me, that's why I put it so early on in the book, because I want you to have that in the back of your mind. But it's also kind of like a good health check. Like, where are you sitting at? Like, Carly, where on the map would you be? And where do you actually want to be? And what do we need to do to get there? Because it's also a really good way of putting some blinkers on ourselves. And often that wouldn't be a good idea. But when it comes to finances, we really need to stop considering what other people are doing and comparing my journey to your journey or what's Carly saving or what's Victoria saving or, you know, what are they earning or what are they spending? It's more, where are you? Where do you want to be? This is about you. This isn't actually about the community. It's not about what other people are doing. We can learn from them, but like your journey is yours alone. And I really want people to have a number to comprehend and something to give them an indication of where they sit as opposed to, oh, well, the average person saves X, Y, Z. Because to me, that's not helpful. Well, that's actually an excellent lead into my next question because there was a section in the book that I absolutely loved. There was a story that you had of two couples and one earned, uh, one couple earned 500k per year Mm -hmm. and the other couple earned 90k per year and the 90k couple both of those couples are now retired the 90k couple are far better off because they invested wisely way back when they first started earning that money can you talk to us about investing because I know it's something that a lot of people are quite frightened of and don't know a lot about and you know do you have any tips for scary yeah like (laughs) not like not losing all their money because like everyone's really scared about you know like Black Friday and you know like Wall Street people throwing themselves out of buildings and like that's kind of if you don't know about it terrifying hey like they really like to capitalize on the negative stories like I can't believe the media would even think of doing that that's wild (laughs) I know Um, so unlike them yes so unlike the media to only talk about the negatives associated with something and fear manga weird um but it is so true right like at the end of the day these are legitimate people that I have had as clients um I did tell them that I had you know, maybe embellished their story a little bit in my yeah. book. And they were, they were quite proud of it, but I didn't tell the 500k couple no, that. I would like not have told them that. They, they would not be happy. Yeah, but no. at the end of the day, the couple that earned 90 grand a year had actually just prioritized investing and saving. And when we say $90,000, this couple were your average income family. Like we're not saying they both earned $90,000 each. This was combined, but from a very young age, they had always contributed additional to investments or superannuation to create wealth. And the example that I use in the book 
is probably my most, I guess, used example, just because when I know it off the top of my head and it's easy and the numbers just make sense. So bear with but me. But also it really stuck with me as well. Like after having read the book, I was like, oh, I loved that story. And I was like, let's talk about that. Well, I'm glad because it's one of those things where it's relatable and mm. too many times people think that their their wealth is going to be based on how much they can earn, not how much they can save and invest. And in reality, like this couple that's earning $500,000, like they have very impressive jobs, but at the end of the day, they never prioritized wealth creation. They're now in their late 40s. Um early fifties and they're planning for retirement and it's just not going to happen in the way that they wanted it to because they've bought houses and, you know, don't get me wrong. They've prioritized their kids' education, but never themselves and never future. So they've got beautiful cars, beautiful homes, but no assets per se, because they went on overseas ski trips twice a year. Like that was really expensive. They flew business. They, they had a really great lifestyle. Please don't get me wrong. And you and I, Carly, would look at them and be like, wow, like <laughs> I wish like that would be so nice. But at the end of the day, this couple who had 90K between them, one of them was a teacher. She took off a lot of mat leave. The other was a maintenance worker. He, you know, just did general like maintenance work around people's homes, but invested consistently And that meant that over the long term, they were able to create wealth. So the example I was referring to is if you at the age of 20, I mean, I wish I was still 20, (laughs) but that's okay. It's a good example. At the age of 20, started investing $500 a month, which at the age of 20, it's not far off. It's a a lot, but it's also not completely unachievable. I mean, if you're at university, it is very unachievable. But if you have a full-time income, like it's not unreasonable to allocate that to it. I mean, that's, you know, $100 each weekend that you've been blowing on espresso martinis, which younger (laughs) Victoria was very good at. Um, But $500 a month over the long term until retirement would actually land you with a $1.2 million investment portfolio. Now, when we talk about what that actually means, if I said to you, okay, Kylie, instead you're going to save $500 a month until retirement, In Converse, you'd only have $240,000 saved. So by investing and trusting in the long term and making use of compound interest, which is essentially the interest that the money that you made makes, which is very nice, you've made a million dollars just by being committed over the long term. And that's what these other clients have done. They just invested consistently, always prioritized it. Even though they had a lot of savings, they did plan um, their kids' education. They had three children. They planned to take, put them through public school because they were like, you know, like it's just not financially worth it for us, even though we've got the cash. Um, because they're like, no, our futures will be completely compromised. And instead, they just gave their kids different experiences. And I think that we all make different decisions. And I'm not saying one is better than the other, but for the same couple, who earned $500,000 for them to achieve the same outcome that my $90,000 income couple had made. Um, they needed to save $15,000, I think it was, each and every single month wow. to achieve the same goal because they started so late. Yeah. So if I said that to my $90,000 couple, that wouldn't be an option. Like they actually would not be able to achieve that because saying to someone who has a very normal income, hey, do you have 15 grand a month spare to invest? Like otherwise you can't retire. Ridiculous. Yeah. But that's why I'm so passionate about starting early and starting young and making sure that we are consistent with it. Because at the end of the day, people who have invested in Australia over the long term, if they have invested for more than 30 years and actually stuck to it, have never lost money. 
Like, Seriously. That's, that's not me just making up stuff. That is legit statistics through the GFC, through everything that has gone on. The people that lost money were the ones that during the GFC were like, oh my gosh, my stocks are worth nothing. Yes, Carly, they are technically valued at nothing, but you still have those 10 stocks, don't you? You still technically own them. Let's wait it out. Let's wait until they rebounce. And those people that waited are financially significantly better off than those people who said, can't do this. I'm just going to take off the table what I've got and accepted their losses. So if you have the ability to invest over the long term, that is where the power is. It's actually over being able to ride the markets for a long period of time, not about picking sexy stocks. It's not about going, oh my gosh, afterpay stocks are so amazing. Like I am. I feel like you've got some issues with afterpay. That's come up twice already. (laughs) Triggered. It's on the back of my book. Like, like it, came up, it, came, it comes up in your podcast quite a lot and it's already come up twice. So do you, do you need to talk about Afterpay? I don't know. Just, don't know. just tell just us. I, slope. Yeah, it's a I just, slippery slope. <laughs> Their legal team one day is going to come for me because you best believe they're never going to sponsor my podcast. <laughs> tell us why you don't like Afterpay. I mean, I know why I don't like Afterpay. So from my perspective, no one gets Afterpay to end up in debt. Like no one actually gets a loan or a personal loan or a credit card to end up in a worse off position. We always see it as a really glamorous option. But I think that from my perspective, Afterpay is particularly uh, problematic because it's not seen as credit to the people that are applying for it. They just see it as a payment option. They're like, great, no problems. And they don't see how much it can impact future us. And I mean, you might be shopping on the Iconic and you're like, that dress is so cute hundred bucks don't have it I've got twenty five dollars though like oh yeah like I'll do that I'll work that out later no problems and you are far more likely to make last minute decisions you are far more likely to make decisions that are based on just you right now wanting something because you were bored during lockdown and you're shopping and you're probably never even going to wear the dress again like you might wear it one weekend and put it in the water and be like that really didn't fit right but you didn't do anything about it so for me it's a really slippery slope and I see it in my community a lot people people getting afterpay and it's not just afterpay it's the premise of these buy now pay later schemes and you see it, you've got zip pay, you've got open pay, you've got so many different options. I think that, you know, Afterpay is obviously just the most widely known company that I'm produced I'm shocked that it took them that long to kind of do this. Like, it seems like it's been a real thing in the last five years and I can't quite figure out why it wasn't yeah. bigger It's reverse engineered. Yeah. It's reverse engineered lay-by. And we mm. used to have lay-by. And I remember lay-by being really exciting because, you know, mum would take us to Target when yeah. we were younger and we'd put <laughs> all this stuff on lay-by and she'd pay it off. And that was essentially how I learned long-term gratification. Yeah. And I was able to wait for things. But that's gone out the window. No one has to have long-term gratification. You like, don't have to it, wait. Exactly. But if you're putting something on lay-by and you realise you didn't like it, like you had the option of being like, oh, just take that off. I don't want that part of it anymore. And you were able to make better financial decisions because you didn't get the product until you completely saved for it, which was something exciting. Whereas this is the opposite. We get the excitement at the start and we're stuck with the debt paying off something that we aren't even sure we want anymore. Yeah. But you see it spiraling out of control. And that's why I think it's quite a slippery slope because I see so many women in our community who turn around and they're like, oh my gosh, Victoria, I thought I was in like $200 worth of afterpay debt and I'm actually in $2,000 worth of afterpay debt. And you're like, oh, oh like how did that happen? And we don't think about the implications of 
of afterpay on our ability to service a home loan or get a mortgage or create wealth or invest. And essentially what we're doing is promising our future cash flow to somebody else instead of prioritizing it for us or for, for us right now. And so for me, I also, you know, you've let me have this little afterpay rant and I'm grateful for <laughs> Just it. Just kind of feel I, like I needed some clarification there. Yeah, so. I, I, I appreciate it. But I also think that, you know, their marketing from my perspective for a millennial audience is a little bit off because they say things like, oh, did you know they did this Mythbusters series? Did you know that afterpay doesn't affect your ability to get a home loan? And you're like, okay, but that's like, I guess completely true because it doesn't if you use it properly but how many people are not using it properly and incurring late fees and then when the bank reviews your bank statements to give you a loan sees that you're not a financially responsible person and rejects it I've seen it before like I have the proof of it because I have a community of people who have shown me this and I've done the research to understand it so you're right if people are using afterpay productively great like my best friend uses afterpay loves it. She's fantastic at it. She pays it off so quickly. And the reason she loves it is because, sorry, is because during lockdown, you can go on the Iconic, you can order a whole heap of dresses for you to try on. You only have to pay a quarter of what the original cost is. Iconic does free returns. So she tries everything on, decides what she's keeping, sends the rest back. And the amount of money that all of that was worth doesn't have to come out of her bank account because she's so good at budgeting and cash flow. She's just like, oh, I don't want to see it come out of my account. I don't want to see my savings dip. And she's never incurred a fee. She's never had a negative experience of that at all. But that I would say such that a great she's hack. I love that. Yeah, she's a genius. So I would fully be able to do that. Like I would be fine. See, I'd be able to. <laughs> I wouldn't. I am not financially responsible, Carly. Like I, I would actually just, for me, I know personally, my personality would be, oh, great. Like I'm not even that good at sending things back when they aren't the right fit. So like for her, it works really well. And I think that that's a good preface because some people are going to listen to this and be like, Victoria, I, I use Afterpay. Stop bagging it out. It's really productive for me and my cash flow great. But unfortunately you're the minority. Like most people are incurring fees and that's why their share price has skyrocketed. (laughs) Yes. Hi, it's Carly. Just popping in to remind you to leave a review for the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to the show page, not the episode page. Scroll right down to the bottom where it says leave a review. Thank you so much. Back to the show. So on a more personal level, I've noticed in your book, a lot of the stuff is talking about, uh, you know, people who are salaried. I am a business owner. My husband Mm -hmm. is a business owner. So that means we get paid anywhere from twice to 20 times a year, depending on what we're doing. 20 would be nice. Well, yeah, it's like, it's all over the shop, depending on who's doing what. So how would you budget when your earnings are all over the place? And, you know, do you have any tips for people with varying incomes? So absolutely. Most of my community have varying incomes because most of my community are hustlers, they're business owners. They might still be at uni and they're picking up casual shifts here and there. And, you know, during Christmas break, they can essentially work full time. But during the year, they're like, oh, I actually have to take a whole heap of time off for exams. So it is not uncommon to have a variable income, I think is the first thing to say. And I can't believe we don't talk about budgeting for it more widely. Like, why is that not a thing? Like, it's obviously a salaried mentioned. employee has it a whole heap easier because they know what's going to happen next month. So from my perspective, it's actually about understanding what you 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 spend. So what are, you, what are your non-negotiable costs at a bare minimum? You might say, okay, I have rent, Victoria, I've got bills, this is food. So calculate all of that at a bare minimum. 
And from there, work out how much money on average you have coming in. So obviously we've got to put ourselves in a position where we have more money coming in than going out. Otherwise we're going to end up in a bit of a pickle pretty quickly. But if you have a variable income, it's about making hay while the sun is shining. So if one month you have a lower income, great, we're going to cover the bills. We're not going to beat ourselves up about it. But next month when we have a really big big invoice paid because it's been outstanding for a while. We're not going to do the celebratory dance that says, guys, we're getting takeout for the next three nights. We are actually going to go do a whole heap of things. I've really wanted that dress. We're actually going to plan for the future because we've got an average. We know what our base income needs to be to cover our bills. So what we're going to do is put money away in savings but they're technically not saving. It's putting it into the cash hub. So next month, it doesn't matter if you don't get paid more or less because you already have this buffer sitting there to cover all of your accounts. And this is what I talk about in the book. I actually go through my own personal cash flow system. And the way I do it is all money comes into one bank account and that's called a cash hub. And if you have a mortgage, I'm, I'm not recommending it, but like you could make it an offset to your mortgage so that we are making money work for us. But all money comes into there and then we allocate it out based on expenses. So that could build up. So say one month we get paid $100, but the next month we get paid $300, but our bills each month are 100. You would then have another 200 just sitting in there as a buffer, but we don't end up spending it just because it's there. We actually have to take ourselves back and go, okay, cool. What am I going to budget for this? So that you're essentially paying yourself a quote wage each month. And next month, if you don't get paid, we want to get to a point where you're still paying yourself that quote living wage, if that makes sense. So it's all about really understanding what's coming in and what you have to spend and not just going, okay, cool. Like next month we can just pay rent. It's all about (laughs) making sure that, okay, cool. How much are we spending on entertaining entertainment? Like what are we spending on the kids? How much is you know, the PlayStation game that we want to buy and how much on average are we actually spending in our family so that we can create our own version of consistency, even if some of the invoices are outstanding because we've actually built up a bit of a buffer and we know, all right, for our food, fuel and fun and the amount of money that we use the grocery store each month, we know that's 200 bucks a week. So we still transfer that whether that invoice has been paid or not to give ourselves the level of consistency we need. And then at the end of the year, sorry, it does take a while. (laughs) At the end of the year, if you're like, wow, a whole heap of money has actually built up in there that we weren't really expecting, then you can reset and you can say, okay, cool. How much do we need in there for a buffer? So we always feel financially confident. How much of this can actually become tangible savings? And you can move it out. But we don't want to make- I love the way you went straight to savings. Like no no, treat yourself. Just put that straight into savings. (laughs) No, no, no. Because your treat yourself will actually already be built into your budget and it will Uh, be built into your savings. And you will actually be be doing this because I don't believe in this model of, you know, always being frugal. I'm not always frugal. That's no fun. I drink coffee every single morning with Lucy, my dog. And if you said to me, Victoria, cut that out. I'd be like, "Mm, it's in line with my values. I'm doing that. (laughs) Um, Because we all have different values. But if we cut back on the treat ourselves, like we're going to blow out. It's kind of like a diet. If you make me stick to that, I'm going to binge at some point. So we're trying to mitigate that by making lifestyle change as opposed to actual tangible um, 
you know, change and cutting it back and making ourselves feel like we're missing out. At no point should we feel like we're missing out because if we do, we're not doing it right. So can you talk to me, because you started, you, you touched on this in the last question. Can you talk mm-hmm. about your six account system? I absolutely love that. I read it. And then because I was reading your book and putting together the questions and I came downstairs to my husband and I was like, okay, we need six different accounts. And we need to do this, this, and this. And he was like, who, who have you got on the podcast this week? I was like, like hey. no one. <laughs> No one. This is just something I thought of by myself. What are you talking about? Shut up. So what you do then is you just get a napkin, draw it out, pretend you did it. I'll let you take credit. (laughs) To be honest, I couldn't care who gets the credit as long as you guys are doing it. (laughs) Be financially savvy. So my cash flow system is, um, it sounds like a a scam when I'm like, it's a tried and true system that works for everybody. (laughs) Um, but honestly, I used to do this thing called an hour of power and I'd sit down with people and do their budget and cash flow with them. Um, and I adored it. And I guess this is where the cash flow system started to grow when I realized that this was working and I'd try and test it on myself and try and test it on all my clients. So for me, this works for my clients that have millions of dollars. It also works for my clients who have $50,000 combined incomes. Um, and the premise of it is having a cash hub that becomes the hub. And that's where all your big expenses automatically get direct debited from. And this system for me is about making the most of every dollar so that there are no leakage points because we've allocated it all. And by putting everything into your cash hub, it means it's there for safekeeping. From there, we would obviously do our budget because we are financially literate queens. (laughs) And we've done our budget and worked out how much we need to allocate to each of the accounts each and every single month. So for me, we've got the cash hub. Then we have an account called the food, fuel and fun account. And for me, that's the weekly spending. So I when it's not COVID time, I play netball. So my money for my netball fee each week goes on to that. My groceries go on to that. You know, if I get my eyebrows done, the money for that goes on to that. We're not talking about really cutting back. We're just being really honest about our food, our fuel and our fund, our food, our fuel and our fun account money and how much we spend so that that debit card is kind of like, okay, cool. Say I give myself $250 a week. That's for groceries. If I you know, blew out and bought some expensive vegan cheese at the markets. Maybe next weekend I'll have to be like, oh, like I don't have that much money in my account. I can't really buy this additional thing. So it's about micro budgeting within a bigger budget so that if you know that you want to go out for dinner next weekend, you're like, okay, cool. Like I know that I transfer my money on a Thursday. If I want to go out for dinner, I need to make sure that I don't spend it all on groceries this week or doing something else. And it forces us to just care about that $250. Instead of stressing about whether the rent's going to be paid or if we have money for rego, we're just caring about that $250. And from there, if you have any excess left over from that account, which quite often you will, you'll transfer that to, I call this my not an emergency, but it feels like an emergency account. I loved Um, that title. It made me laugh. (laughs) And in the book, like I literally said, like someone's going to think of a better thing, but like (laughs) I was under a lot of pressure to write and I couldn't be creative. And that's just where we landed. Um, But that's essentially your overflow. And if there's something you want to splurge on, we take the money from that account because it doesn't compromise any of our saving investment or or goals that we have for future bills. So then on the flip side, we've got our long-term, short-term and medium-term goal setting, which is our savings accounts. And then we can always invest in addition to that if we want. So for me, 
um, from my experience, that ability to set up a banking system that works for you and only having one debit card that doesn't actually give you direct access to all of your cash and having a cash hub that actually takes into consideration not just weekly set expenses, but maybe annual expenses like your car insurance or your your car registration or things that seem to pop up out of nowhere. Also, Carly, always at Christmas, they always pop up then that we can actually budget for over the long term. So when that bill comes in, you go, okay, cool. It's fine. The money's actually going to be sitting in my cash hub and I can comfortably pay that without having to think too much. So for me, that seems to be the system that works. Lots of clients tweak it. They change it. They label their accounts, whatever they want. But from my experience, that is a really great base to start with, especially if you don't know where to begin. So that is all outlined in the book. And as you can tell, after I read the book, I was like, well, I'm just overhauling all of my finances. And now it's everything that they, (laughs) that's what Victoria said. I'm doing it. Um, I love that. (laughs) So can you please tell us, uh, because we've already gone over Afterpay, what is the worst financial advice that's circulating at the moment? And you think that we should ignore it? (laughs) Uh, Cryptocurrency. (laughs) Oh, oh, fun. Mm. Oh, tell Mm. me about cryptocurrency. Because I'm really like, I know nothing. Gosh, I'm so pervy. I'm so pervy. I follow it so closely because I, it's like a kind of like a car, car crash. Like I know it's so bad, but I can't look away. Um, but I think it's really interesting because so many influencers have started promoting, uh, cryptocurrency and like in an MLM kind of a way. Yeah. And they're making, they're obviously making money from doing it because they have referral fees and that's a complete yeah. other story. But I guess from my perspective, I'm not saying that cryptocurrency is the devil. I have a lot of friends that invest in it. I'm not saying it's good. It does carry significantly more risk than investing on the stock market. But I think the thing that I'm most confused about is the normalization of it, because I might say to you, Carly, Hey, like, how do you feel when it comes to investing? You're like, still not sure. Like, okay, cool. No problems. Like, are we going to go on this journey? And we start working towards it. But then your mate turns around and says, I bought this cryptocurrency and I did this and I did that. And then you do that. And it just is in direct conflict with everything that we've been talking about, about risk and what you're willing to take on and what you're thinking about future wealth creation. And it just, from my perspective, is such, again, a slippery slope, but also a really uneducated one where it's pack mentality and it's herd mentality. And we know that that mentality does drive investment markets. And that's why we see things you know, a couple of years ago, we saw it with Bitcoin. Yeah. We recently saw it with GameStop, where all the hype builds up and everybody's like, oh my gosh, if you don't get Bitcoin, you're missing out. Like you're not involved and we get FOMO and then we buy it. And then we realize that wasn't such a smart decision. So people start selling it and it starts losing value when you start freaking out because you made a bad investment decision. And from my perspective as a financial advisor, it's putting a really sour taste in people's mouths about what investing actually is. And from my perspective as a financial advisor, I'm actually really conservative Like for me, the best type of investments are really boring ones that are going to be tried and true over the long term. I'm buying really boring commodities. Like I'm usually buying blue chip stocks. It's usually the (laughs) ASX top 200. Like there's nothing sexy or secretive about what I do. But I think that, you know, from my perspective, the cryptocurrency bubble that we're going through at the moment is really damaging and you know, not good financial advice because we seem to be taking advice from people who aren't financial advisors on it, but also being 
unnecessarily confident in the decision that we're making to do that. So that would be that. Obviously, you took after pay out of my mouth. That would have been the second one. <laughs> no, I, th- I thank you so much for your thoughts on cryptocurrency because I know a lot of people have been seeing it pop up quite a lot. It's massive on Instagram and TikTok. Yeah, there are I all know. these like those little pointing videos. And- yeah, they're like, I made this much off this coin and I bought this coin and it doubled. And you're like, cool. Do you want to just <laughs> head down to Sportsbet? Arguably easier. <laughs> Right. It's like, yeah. So thank you so much for that. And I think it, it, it's for me, it's kind of like, as you were saying, it's it's sort of like conspiracy theorists. It's sort of like that whole little bubble kind of growing in that way. Have you just side note, listened to Missing Crypto Queen? I haven't. I've it's been recommended really it. I yeah. really need to get on it. I've actually been listening to a podcast recently. I'm nearly about to finish it called The Dream. Oh, oh, yeah, I've I've listened to that. Oh. It's fantastic, yeah. MLM, I can't look away. Yeah. <laughs> Missing Crypto Queen, Queen will be right up your alley because it's MLM right. but also cryptocurrency. Oh, it's I'm, amazing. I'm on it. It's really good. And it's still it's still live. Like Oof, it's not concluded. Yeah, so it's fantastic. So I like to finish the show. Oh, no, I'm not finishing the show. I have one more. Oh, I have one more question to ask you. So if you could tell someone right now what's the one thing that they should not be ignoring in their finances, what would it be? Can I negotiate with you? Can yes, I have please. two? Absolutely. Right? Go right, for thank it. Thank you. So the first one is your budget, which is really <laughs> bland and really dry. And I'm sorry that that's the case. But as we said before, you really need to understand your earn, spend, own and owe. So you know exactly where you are. And too many times people stick their heads in the sand about budgeting because it's all too hard and they feel really judged. But at the end of the day, like a budget should not be about judging yourself or putting yourself on a diet or restricting it. It shouldn't be about saying, okay, well, we've decided that it's only $100 a week for groceries and we have to stick to it. Like it's actually about understanding your values and how you're spending your money in line with your values. And if you said to me, okay, Victoria, we actually spend $250 a week on groceries. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Like you happy with that? And you might go, no, like we're so lazy. Like we really should be tightening it up. We could do X, Y, and Z. Okay, no problems. Do that. Or you might say, oh, nah, like that's really good. Like we're really happy with that. Fantastic. Because from my perspective, it's actually not about what you're spending, but rather, are you happy with that amount? Because too many times people are spending money on things that they aren't getting value out of. So you might turn around and be like, I have a fancy F45 membership, 70 bucks a week. Don't use it. Cool. Get rid of it. But then I've got another client who might be like, F45, I live it. I breathe it. I am F45. I'm not going to take that off somebody who enjoys it. So we really need to remember that our values are reflected in our budget and it's actually okay what we spend and we can learn a lot from ourselves knowing what we spend and what we save, but that's ultimately what's going to create financial security for us and what's going to create financial freedom. Not to plug myself, but I do have a free downloadable budget on my website that you can download that I've created technically you were meant to buy the book and then you'd get the budget for free but like I just put it up there anyway so all you have to do is download it it's free there's no catches um but the second one is superannuation at the end of the day not enough people care about their super and that is creating wealth for future you as I said earlier not many people could say that they have been consistently investing 10% of their income each and every single month, but that's what you're doing inside superannuation. And superannuation is actually your money. Like you have complete control over it. It is wild what you can do with it when you start learning about it. But superannuation 
as a summary, super is actually just a tax structure. It is a structure where you are being allowed to invest for only paying 15% tax. Most of us have taxable incomes or marginal tax rates that are much higher than 15%. So that's a very sexy deal, I think. But then when it comes to the actual investment of the money, you need to care about that. You need to understand that. Like what portfolio are you in? Are you just in the basic one that was put straight there? Are you in balance? Are you in growth? What do you actually want to be invested in? Call your super fund, ask. They have call centers full of people who are literally educated to teach you exactly what is best for you and how you can make that decision. So those would be my not one, but two things. (laughs) Yeah. And neither of them are very sexy, but I really do have to get up. (laughs) They are sexy because do you know how confident and empowered people feel the second they have financial security and they second they feel like they are on top of their finances like it is something that I don't think you will be able to comprehend until you actually have it and you're like wow like why didn't I do that earlier I feel confident in so many different ways because money impacts every single part of your life impacts you mentally impacts you physically it impacts you spiritually impacts you mentally like it is so unfair of yourself to not prioritize those things yet prioritize heaps of other things in their place yeah, I have to say I did feel pretty cute when I rolled my super a couple of years ago. I was like, oh, you took, were like, I'm on top of this. It took a whole day. Everyone was like, oh, it's so easy. It's so easy. Like, don't even worry about it. But I had like so many different jobs and stuff. It just, it took so long. But that's not an excuse. You still have to do it to anyone who's yeah, listening at home. you still have to do it. No excuses. I'm yeah. done with the excuses. <laughs> so this is when I actually finish the show. I like to finish the show on a little segment called Kicked My Ass and Kicked Ass, where we both share something we struggled with I and also this. something. Oh, thank you you and something that we rocked at this week. So my kick ass this week, you'll, you'll like this story. I broke a beautiful pair of dinosaur designs earrings. <gasps> They're so expensive. I know. <laughs> I was devastated. And so the reason why I bought these was that I spent a ridiculous amount of time chasing up a childcare rebate. And I promised that once I got that rebate, that I could spend it on something that I really loved because yeah, my nice. hourly, well, my hourly rate ended up being something ridiculous, like $3.25 per hour with how long oh it took. Gosh. It was ridiculous ridiculous how long it took to sort this out and the second time I went to wear them one slipped out of my hand and it snapped in half on the table and I'm devastated I've emailed them to ask if they can replace it it was totally my fault but I own lots of dinosaur stuff so it shouldn't break if you just drop it on the table no it really shouldn't and it's an earring like yeah yeah so that's what I said to them I was like we're talking about it on the podcast I know that's the thing so if you know anyone from dinosaur is listening to this I will be really really excited if you could replace that earring Add into yeah. a, either of our DMs and we'll be happy yeah, we'll, to we'll be on it. replace we'll be on it. <laughs> so what kicked your ass this week? My Nutribullet. My Nutribullet kicked my ass. Did um, it break? It, uh, yep, halfway through blending something. And oh. it was like 15 minutes before I had a meeting. So oh. I had to leave my kitchen covered in green smoothie while I had a meeting and I had to change my top and I had to wipe my hair. I just looked like a hot mess. Oh, um, no. And it was kind of like a combination of knowing that the jug was slightly cracked but still using it um, and maybe not screwing it on tight enough because she went everywhere. So I guess that kicked my ass a little bit this week. 
was kind of funny, but it was only funny that night, not in the moment. Never in the moment. <laughs> Absolutely not. So my kicked ass this week is that I've managed to ditch coffee and I do this every now and then because it just helps so much with my sleep. Um, and it, it really did help with my sleep, which was really disappointing because I didn't want it to, but it did. So oh, how yeah. annoying. Really you have so much more self-control than I do. I could never ditch coffee. Um, maybe, maybe I'll try one day, but like that is a really loose promise. So what, so what uh, kicked ass for you this week? Okay, so this week, it's actually rolling. It's from last month. So in my community, we did Accountability August and we all held each other accountable to one thing that we wanted to do. In lockdown, that was kind of easy for me because my Accountability August challenge was actually take lunch to work every day. And then we went into <laughs> lockdown and I was like, oh I win this challenge. Um, but I've been actually cooking lunch every single day at home, which if you're self-employed and you're working from home, you know that you are really good at just eating popcorn or having a cup oh, of yeah. tea or a punnet of blueberries or, or some toast. toast. Yeah, literally not even toast, like bread. I'll just go pick up things from the kitchen and <laughs> eat them and call that a meal. But because of this challenge in August, I've gotten really good at actually making lunches and planning them out. And for the last week, I've actually been surprised at myself because the go-to was like, oh, it's like 1.30, it's getting on, like it's just after lunchtime for me because like lunchtime for me is 12.30. I'll go and I'll actually make a lunch and sit at my desk and eat it. So for me, I reckon that's what I've kicked ass at because that's not really normal for me. <laughs> well, that's absolutely perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Victoria. It was a pleasure talking to you today. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening to Very Excellent Habits, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. Don't forget you can follow me on Instagram at Very Excellent Habits. You can email me, contact at carlyjacobs.com. If you have a question, you can go to speakpipe.com forward slash Very Excellent Habits. I just adore it when people leave me messages there. So please hop to that. For all the resources that you hear about on the show, you can grab them at patreon.com forward slash Very Excellent Habits. And one more thing, please do leave a rating and a review. It is the best way to help other people find the podcast. Until next time, remember, little habits, big life.